0: Hello, everybody. My name is Chandra Dasa. This is the Buddhist Centre Online Podcast. Back after quite a break. I'd love to say it was a staged, managed sort of break, but actually it was just, we've been really busy. We haven't managed to get many episodes out. But here we are again, back on the airwaves and back at Adastana, the delightful, I suppose, heart of Tiratha In Some Senses, the place where Urgi and lives, where the College of Public Preceptors... Is based, uh, but actually mainly just a hub for fantastic people who come and go week in, week out, all year round. And it's set in the heart of the beautiful Herefordshire countryside, which is currently absolutely teeming with life. So thick and green and ripe. Any other words? Verdant. Verdant. Luminous. Luminous. Green. green, And green. green. And the rain, is, the rain is about to come down. It's going to rain cats and dogs, probably. Anyway, that voice was... Ratnadeva. Ratnadeva, who uh, we did a podcast with in India, and it was so successful, we've roped him into doing this one. <laughs> pleasure to be here. But we're both here for a very special reason, which is a, a sort of celebratory Buddha Day podcast. It's uh, Buddha Day this week in the Buddhist world, or lots of the Buddhist world anyway. Traditionally known as Vesak, or Vesak. The festival marking the enlightenment of the Buddha, a great mythological event. And uh, because it's a great mythological event, we thought we'd bring you a mythological story. So I'm delighted to welcome our guest, drumroll, thunderclap, Stanishrata.
1: Hello.
0: Now, Stanishrata, we wanted to talk to you because every year people do the same sorts of things for so this. You did not do the same sort of thing. <laughs> you did take part in a Dharma talk, meditation, reflection, puja. <laughs> those beautiful things that are not routine in the negative sense, but routine in the virtuous sense. But you also did something a bit extraordinary. And I thought telling that story would put a smile on everybody's face, just like yours is smiling right now. <laughs> so tell you what, why don't you walk us through, how did it happen? What thunderclap brought you to this amazing little adventure that you had?
1: Mm, yes, okay. In a nutshell, what we did was, uh, there were three of us, we set off very early the morning that we celebrated uh, Buddha Day. How early? It was 3am that we left Adishtana, <laughs> uh, And we set off on foot and we walked into uh, Great Malvern, which is about two hours' walk from here. And in Great Malvern there is a spring in the, in the middle of the town centre. I mean, the Malvern Hills are full of these springs of water. Uh, they've been there for hundreds, if not thousands of years. But there's one right in the town centre. And uh, we did puja and collected water from the spring and brought it back to offer to uh, to the Buddha. OK, Buddha whoa, Day. whoa,
0: whoa, whoa. So we're going to rewind uh, yeah. back to the point where you're in Malvern Town Centre at five yes. in the morning and you did a puja mm. in the town square. Yes. How did that go down? Were other people around? Well,
1: uh, it was... Uh, five o'clock in the morning. So the only other people that were really around were the postal workers across the road getting ready to uh, take out the morning's post.
0: And what did your puja involve? It's
1: an unusual puja in the sense of it's not specifically to do with a Buddha or Bodhisattva. In a way, what we were doing in terms of that puja was entreating the goddess of the spring, uh, but also the Nagas, these kind of mythical serpent like beings that protect the environment. And also the goddess Vasundara, who is reputed to be the goddess of the earth. If you've read the story of the Buddha's life, Vasundara is the goddess that uh, is called to witness in Mara's attack.
0: For the uninitiated listening to this, mm. puja is a kind of ritual celebration of faith. Mm. It's a way to get your emotions engaged in Dharma practice, all of you, bringing as much of you to the party as you can. The Nagas live in the watery depths, Mm. great mythological beings. How does all that, you know, there you are, you're in the town centre at five in the morning, the postal people are getting their bags together, Mm. presumably that looks a bit weird to them. It speaks of a mythic life that you're carrying on, presumably all the time. Mm. That's not a one-off, is it?
1: No, I suppose I've always had a bit of a connection to something other. I mean, there's a phrase that comes up often when you're kind of looking at things like the Ratna Sutta, which is beings seen and unseen. And I can't say I've ever seen many unseen beings, <laughs> but I have a sense that they are there.
2: There's also a dimension, isn't there, Stanislav, about mm. connecting with a tradition, of the mm. tradition perhaps of these lands mm. I'm aware that the at least Celtic lore, the, the mm. mythology, places great emphasis on the sacredness mm. of the springs and, mm. and wells. Mm. And is that a feature of your ritual there, the Morvan spring?
1: Yes, I mean, in a way, I don't personally know that much about sort of Celtic tradition or Druidry, mm. but uh, just over the years of being a practicing Buddhist, you know, Bantis kind of keenness that um, there's a kind of natural paganness a kind of healthy association with nature i think over those years of practicing i've kind of i've worked with that and explored that so i have a sense that there is a an ancient tradition but also there's sort of a sort of an intuitive personal response to water coming up out of the ground water that mm. is clean enough to drink i find slightly magical um, you can't really sort of avoid that. Mm. And then there are kind of more associations you can look into, uh, more historic traditions.
0: And more water is big business, of course. So mm. this is a completely other approach to that beautiful natural resource mm. that most people probably relate to as something quite functional. It's where I get my bottled mm. water when I get on the train, More mm. than spring mm. water. Mm. And there is a connection, there's a very loose connection to that, but you're doing something that plums mm. much deeper, aren't you, into... Mm. Into the depths of the pool, as Mm. it were, underneath the mountain. Mm. Very impressive. So, presumably, you did your puja, you got the first bus back to Mm.
1: Adstana, no? (laughs) I'm afraid not. No, that's not quite how these things work for me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in a sense, it also draws on almost the sense of uh, procession and pilgrimage. Mm. And in a way, that requires a certain amount of hardship, almost. In some ways, yes, if it was practical, functional. The easiest thing to do to offer the Buddha some water would be to turn on the tap. You wouldn't need to go anywhere. But no, there's something more more of the nature of procession and pilgrimage. So yes, it requires walking. You didn't
0: do it on your knees though?
1: No. No, I'm not quite that extreme. <laughs> okay,
0: compromise is good. <laughs> is there some sense also of maybe
2: connecting with the land here? Mm. Connecting with Herifritch with mm. Malvern, with this... area that Triratna is occupying Mm. developing
1: making a home for Mm. itself yes I definitely think so yes Um, it was certainly on my mind I mean I've been sort of ruminating almost toying with this idea for over a year and uh there's definitely a side of it which feels like it's about us, Tree Ratna, it's about the Dharma, Buddhism, arriving in this part of the world. We can't sort of be divorced from where we are. So yes, for me, very much so, it feels like arriving in a place that you can actually incorporate and welcome in these different aspects.
0: Yeah, in a way, you've got the local deities on your side. That's mm. one of the things you have to, yeah. you have to
1: make contact. Yeah. Yeah. Through the verses that we that we looked at, and also stuff that that sort of touches on this area in the Pali Canon, you get this lovely phrase, which is, you know, the Buddha who is honoured by gods and men. And I just kept turning this over, and I was like, well, yes, that's kind of what this is about. You know, we don't do puja to the kind of local deities and the gods because we're going for refuge to them. We do puja to them because we want them to join us in worshipping the Buddha, And that feels very much about kind of arriving here. It's like, okay, well, we want the local deities to help us, but we want them to help us in spreading the Dharma, in worshipping the Buddha. Mm. And that seems very clear right the way through the Buddhist tradition. So I I really like that.
0: So, can you give us an idea of why this particular fountain, what was it attracted you, and and Mm. what did you find yourself facing Mm. as a goddess at five in the morning?
1: Mm. Yes, there are a number of different springs. that come up in the Mulvins. And there are some, I know there's one called St Anne's Well, which is higher up the hill. So in a way, it's a more original spring, as it were. The water comes first from up there. But this particular spring, I don't know if it has an ancient name or it's a more recently given name. They've called it the Mulvina. And the spring has a, a new spring head, which was obviously created by a local artist. And it looks like a goddess... So uh, it has a beautiful bronze cast face of a goddess and then carved in stone around the face is flowing hair that comes all the way down to the ground, almost reminiscent of water as well. Mm. So they've really, someone's got a feel for it and then at her heart centre she has two hands that hold a kind of Celtic mandala and out of the centre of that comes the spring spout of water. Which then falls into a beautiful stone, almost like an offering bowl, a great big stone carved bowl with various kind of Celtic spirals and circles on it.
0: And was there any pattern to, to the kind of offering you took back with you? Did you did you a number of vases you wanted to fill, or was there any symbolism to how you were going to gather the water?
1: There were no kind of specifics to the amount of water that was offered. In a way, it was determined by how many people were interested in joining me. Uh, Had I gone on my own, it wouldn't have been very much water at all. But thankfully, a couple of the guys from the Dharma training course here joined me. So, uh, yes. I was very keen that, in a way, the whole kind of ritual of it has to have a certain aesthetic. So, I didn't want to just rock up with a couple of plastic bottles and then pour them into a bowl on the shrine. And it had to have a, yes, a kind of Aesthetic, almost useless, beautiful nature to it. We raided the charity shops and bought crystal decanters, so we used those to collect the water, and then uh, poured them into really nice crystal wine glasses on the shrine. Uh, So, yes, a whole association with drinking, being able to drink the water.
0: Mm. And when did you make it back?
1: We got back about six thirty in the morning. So it was a bit after that. So there was enough time to kind of arrive back, maybe change clothes, get ready for morning meditation at seven. So then we, yes, we offered the water to the shrine just before we uh, started the morning meditation sit. Fantastic.
2: Mm. You mentioned aesthetic, mm. uh, the word aesthetic, a few times. I've mm. uh, ever since Stanashra that you make up your life an aesthetic creation uh, you're sitting here with elegant robes that I would have a guess you've made yourself mm. yes. and you make you make your own rucksacks you create the world you live in not just through clothes but through ritual I'm remembering when we were together at Kukia Loka on our ordination retreat you created a whole forest within the Shrine Room on, on one occasion. Maybe that was Wesak, was it? It was, was yes.
1: Yes, that was also for Buddha Day.
2: So you, cre- you create your immediate environment and the clothes that you wear, and you create environments around you through puja, through mm. ritual, through your hands, with your hands. And you create an artistic life, really. Mm. As, as far as I can see, you, mm. that's a, a life I say you exemplify. Mm.
1: Yes, there have been a few times in my life where uh, I've had to question what is it I'm basing my life on. You know, sometimes life shakes your foundations and you have to see what remains. And very often for me, what is the immediate answer is beauty. I'm constantly trying to uh, come back to this deep value that I have for trying to create the beautiful And as a Buddhist, that is conjoined with, yes, a devotional aspect. So I want beauty to be directed towards what I hold as my highest ideals. So yes, there's that lovely combination of beauty, devotion to the Buddha, and a love of ritual. Somehow that combines those things.
0: The thing that came to mind for me when Mm. you were describing that, the response I had was around letting go and loss something to do with impermanence. Mm. So it's like there's something about a path of beauty or a life of beauty where you have to be present to the lakshana, mm. that quality, that taste of mm. reality where it's just, it is water going through your fingers, isn't mm. it, the whole thing? But there's a way to, to dwell on that. Mm. seems that that's quite a quality that you, actually I was going to say aspire to, but clearly you embody mm. to some extent. What are the sort of challenges for you in living this way? Are there <laughs>
1: gosh yes there are challenges it's a funny one isn't it i mean uh the thing is everyone's an individual we all have slightly different ways of coming at the world i just feel that very keenly sometimes so sometimes it can be a little bit of a lonely world Mm -hmm. uh, particularly one that pursues ritual and devotion you don't see quite so many of us in the movement and order that uh, really kind of pushed the boundaries of ritual and devotion. We have many meditators and some great uh, study leaders, but not so many... Uh, ritualists. Ritualists, yes.
0: And have you always been like this? I mean, was this a feature of your life pre-Buddhism, where you were in touch with some level of the ritualistic nature of oh, yes. human life? Oh and yes,
1: but there was nothing to base it around, so it was just like playing games.
0: Where did it go into fashion and...
1: Fashion came later, but yes, there'd always been a love of kind of fantasy, magic, the mysterious. But yes, it had no basis in a way. And then I, I made contact with the Dharma and suddenly I found there was, there was a foundation I could sort of place that on.
0: Mm. So you brought the goddess's offering back. You mm. offered it to the shrine here with the, mm. the great beautiful Rupa, with the Buddha. In the centre of the shrine a shrine you made or you helped me yes
1: Yes, I put the shrine together a
0: lovely Bodhi tree Mm. sort of array which we post a picture of later having had a couple of days to sort of feel your way through Mm. the resonance of all that What what do you think the goddess gave you what was the gift you brought back
1: I mean in the most straightforward sense she gave of her water and there's something about water isn't there water makes things grow You can't grow things without water, so you can't nourish humankind without food. So water does that. There is a sense of that kind of offering, the offering of water that gives nourishment. I think when you kind of call upon spring deities, water deities, the Nagas, it is a sense of abundance that is returned. For me personally, I, I feel like I have arrived a little bit more fully at Adishtana.
2: I'm just wondering whether you were inspired to collect the water in any way as a result of the, the kind of almost drought that we've experienced in the past mm. a couple of weeks and at a time
1: when new turf was being laid and, mm. and the need for water was <laughs> never greater in a sense. Not so much the immediate goings-on, although I was very aware of Sangadeva out in the garden, doing lots of planting, laying the turf, in some extremely hot, sunny weather, which is not really the best for growing grass. So rain would have been very welcome, and rain we had. Rain we were given. So in some ways, rituals like this are a continuation of something that already feels present at Adistana. Adistana already feels quite well-blessed and quite well looked after by the local deities you know we've had various kind of little weather occurrences that one could knock up to something other
0: (laughs) so uh, maybe it would be a good idea to round off this story Mm. with some of what you actually did so you brought some verses along do you want to read something just to give people a flavour of what it's like to stand out there in the Mm. elements Mm. as the night turns into day
1: in a way, this little puja falls into two halves. The second half is pretty much from the Ratana Sutta, so anyone familiar would know those verses anyway, or verses very similar. So I'll just give you the first section, which is really in treating the various beings we were calling on. O you who reside in the great oceans and mighty seas rivers, streams and lakes of the continents whose homes are made in marshes clear pools and hidden forest groves also in springs of pure water in the hills and mountains earth, rocks, wind and fire and the very sky around us please come here Delight in these offerings and join us in worshipping the Tathagata. To the eight great Naga kings who rule over all the Nagas Balavan, Elepatra and Gelpa, Madropa and Aparajita, Kulika and Aruni, please come here. Delight in these offerings and join us in worshipping the Tathagata. And to you, Mulvina, goddess of the hills, whose hair is twined with celandines and bluebells, foxgloves and hawthorn, whose waters pour forth and nourish the land and quench the thirst of mankind, please come here, Delight in these offerings and join us in worshipping the Tathagata. And to Vasundara, goddess of the earth, who bore witness to all the Buddha's aeons of practice, who alone could have witnessed each footstep and action, each and every perfection completed. Rise up, Come to this place of offering. Delight in them. Join us in worshipping the Tathagata.
0: Beautiful. A deep bow. Sadhu for an amazing effort. Thanks for sharing your story with us. Thanks to Tathagata for... Help and have the conversation. A pleasure. And if you enjoyed this, we're just going to get these podcasts rolling again. So please do go to your favourite podcast application. These days there are so many of them, particularly the iTunes store, the Google Play store, and leave a good review. Give us five stars if you liked it. It really does help people find them. The world is awash with podcasts, but I bet none of them go quite as beautifully and as deeply as that story from Stanishtar. So thanks very much to you. We'll be back with more stories of practice and fantastic life from the Tritra Buddhist community. Until next time, take care.